official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Alex Morallo. How are you doing tonight, Alex? Doing well, Glenn, and good evening, Jet Nation. So, some exciting stuff today. Of course, the introductory press conference. Joe Douglas meets the media. The fans get their first look at their brand-new GM. Uh, The Jets also re-signed fan favorite running back Bilal Powell to a one-year deal. We'll talk about that a little bit. And we're also going to be joined by Scott Carter. Scott Carter covers the Florida Gators down in the, uh, down basically in the old stomping grounds now of Ja'Kai Polite. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about Ja'Kai Polite because let's face it, he's probably the biggest boomer bust prospect in this Jets draft class because of the fact that he is a guy who played like a first-round pick last year. But as we all know, Combine didn't go well. Pro Day didn't go well. Interviews went poorly at the Combine as well as the on-field stuff. So a guy who was projected to be a mid-first-round pick fell all the way to round three. So did the Jets catch a break? Or will the pick end up being a you know a waste? That's something we'll have to wait a couple years to find out. But... We'll only have to wait a few minutes to get the thoughts of somebody who watched Ja'Kai Polite up close and personal uh, throughout his career at Florida. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, Alex, let's let's dive right in to the Joe Douglas introductory press conference. We'll touch on a few key points. Um, I know my thought, I, I think Chris Johnson in introducing... Joe Douglas, you know, I think a lot of fans, myself included, we read into a little bit and try to figure out if he's basically saying that the things Joe Douglas will bring are the things that he feels like the last guy, in this case, in this case Mike McCagnan, was not bringing. Um, and Johnson said about Douglas, he said he's more than a talent evaluator. He's got to be able to build and sustain a winning culture. But he also talked about being a consensus builder, somebody who brings people together. And we did hear following the Mike McCagnan firing that he didn't didn't get along with everyone in the building or didn't work as well with everyone in the building as Chris Johnson would have liked. So uh, that's, that's something that jumped out at me. And basically, Chris Johnson said, look, this is this is our new guy. I think he can help us, you know, and and this was the other big thing to me. And this is, you know, Alex, I wrote something about this the other day and I I don't know. I don't know your thoughts, but I feel like bringing this guy in, what what makes this different. And I know it always feels different when you bring in a new GM. It always feels new and exciting and it's going to be better than the last guy. But if you look at the last couple GMs, the Jets have hired the last few, really, I mean, let's face it. Mike Tannenbaum was a cap guy. 
who impressed Bill Parcells, and that's why he got the job. John Idzik was a cap guy who was recommended by Corn Ferry and got the job. Mike McCagnan, a longtime scout who, you know, you didn't hear his name as a guy a lot of teams or any other teams were interested in. And a lot of high-profile guys turned down the interview with the Jets the last time around. So Mike McCagnan got the job. The difference this time, the biggest thing to me, is Joe Douglas is a guy, I mean, the rest may speak for itself, 15 years in Baltimore, a year in Chicago, and then he goes to Philly and helps them build a Super Bowl winner with Howie Roseman. So, so Joe Douglas is a guy who was in demand. There, there were, I mean, I'm sure you saw it, Alex. When the, when the Houston Texans fired their GM the other night, people thought they were going to make a quick run at Joe Douglas because they were interested in him last year. So I guess what I'm saying here, the biggest thing, is that rather than the Jets getting the guy that they thought was the best of a bunch of guys that weren't really in demand, this time around, because the franchise quarterback is in place, the Jets interviewed some highly qualified candidates, and they got the guy who some people felt from day one was the best. So, I mean, do you think that's a fair assessment to say that this is a guy who, rather than getting, as I said, sort of the best of a bad bunch, they now get a guy who was coveted by other teams and who many people felt would be hired as a GM next year? Yes, uh, I I absolutely agree on on all points. And you have to just be, I guess, watching – what has over uh, come over the last few weeks and all the scrutiny and the criticism that the Johnsons have gotten. And it kind of, kind of seems like they've come through this whole transition uh, looking a little bit smarter than we thought, uh, getting the guy that they coveted, uh, somebody that's spoken very highly of that, as you mentioned, um, and we've talked about Ozzie Newsom in the past. He's pretty much, you know, a football legend and, you know, experience matters in this league and winning matters in this league and pedigree. And these are all the the things that I hear about with Joe Douglas. I can't sit here and and say that he's going to right all the wrongs. Uh, I'm sure this guy's going to make some mistakes throughout, you know, the next few years, but he's definitely shown a, 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 a large sample size of good things that you can work with. And, you know, again, just, I haven't heard one bad thing that has been mentioned about him at all. And it really seems like, you know, air quoting the Jets got their guy. And uh, as odd as it may seem with the timing of how the front office has handled things, it, it does seem like they've come out with their heads high in, in this situation here. And they're, they're really putting together an all-star staff uh, offensively, defensively, and now in the front office. Um, so I, I'm excited and I'm happy for what they did. And, and I just kind of hope that he's able to take what we have now and bring it to the next level because that's what this is all really about is is being competitive and being in the conversation in late December uh, about postseason football. So I'm I'm overall thumbs up on you know double thumbs up for me uh, on this whole situation. Yeah, and I think you know as I said, one of the more interesting things that Chris Johnson said was was the fact that he views he views Douglas as somebody who will be able to attract other talented people. And that kind of ties in. That was kind of the part of the reason I was making the point that I was making 
when you bring in a John Idzik and a Mike McCagnan, these sort of lower level, um, you know, or I shouldn't say just, just guys who weren't high on anyone's list as an executive, they're not going to have a bunch of strong names below them that are willing to come in and work for them. And that's not the case with, with Douglas. Douglas has done enough that he, he's done enough networking. At least that's the expectation. That's what's being reported that he knows some, you know, that he wants to bring a couple of guys with him from Philly who are loyal to him and who have done a good job there. So I think that's, I think the staff he's going to be able to assemble, um, you know, there's been talk about Todd McShay, uh, you know, whether or not that happens, we'll see They're you know, friends from college or whatever, but Joe Douglas is here. He's saying all the right things. I'm blessed and honored to be here. Our vision is aligned. Um, you know, he, he took the time to thank a lot of people that, that worked with him throughout the years from high school coaches and, and things like that. Um, you know, family, the kind of the standard stuff you expect, but, um, you know, he, he says he wants to be a steward and lead this franchise. And he feels that his time together in Chicago with Adam Gase, and I think Adam Gase said uh, they get along well because cause basically Douglas can tolerate his insanity. But these these are guys who form the bond in Chicago. Yeah, someone, someone has to, right? And um, I think that, you know, I try not to get too excited because, you know, as you know, we talked a little bit before we came on the air. We, you know, we hear this with every new guy, every new GM. They say the right things. You know, nobody, no GM walks in the door and says, well, we're going to draft a bunch of morons and uh, hope for the best. You know, of course they're going to come in and say, we're going to draft passionate players and smart players and players that want to win more than anything in the world and blah, blah, blah. Of course, of course, we, you know, these are all things we know. So it's about, it's about the results. You know, the unfortunate thing here is that, uh, we won't know because Douglas isn't going to have a draft until, you know, next season. But there are players that can be brought in other methods. He did mention that. He talked about, you know, the Jets having third priority on the waiver wire, and they'll be keeping an eye on that, which you would expect. But as a guy, you know, as a guy with that resume, I don't know as a Jets fan how you can't be excited. And and I wanted to ask you, uh, get your thoughts. A move that was made just a couple days ago, uh, speaking of transactions and general managers, Bilal Powell comes back on a one-year deal, uh, a fan favorite, a guy who, you know, I actually I looked at his, some of his numbers the other day. Other than his rookie season where he had, you know, had 13 carries or 18 carries, something like that, Bilal Powell has never averaged less than four yards a carry. And, and playing behind that terrible offensive line last year, well, I should say I said that terrible run-blocking offensive line last year, he still averaged four yards a carry. So uh, what are your thoughts on having Bilal Powell? Maybe in 4.3. I'm going to look into that. But what, what are your thoughts on Bilal Powell coming back and, and at least getting a shot to, to try to make this roster again? Uh, I think one could look at this lineup or this group, rather, and their strength at all different levels as far as youth is concerned, speed, speed is concerned, versatility, uh, being able to mask coverages or uh, packages and keeping the the defense on their toes, not knowing exactly what, you know, who you're going to cue in on. You could literally run a a five receiver set just with our running backs and still have the threat of the run game. And, and they're still all great receivers. So I I really like how this backfield is shaken out. 
Uh, I'm definitely going to be a homer here and say I think this is one of the best running back fields put together in the league, definitely in the AFC East as far as depth is concerned. Uh, And I really like the fact that we are putting a little bit of a focus in on the run game because that shows me that Adam Gase and his people that he's put together want to protect Sam Darnold every way that they can by giving him a strong running game and giving him an edge on play action and rollouts and, and designing plays where you can get Sam out in space and, and expose the defense. So uh, I, I really uh, like the move. Uh, I'm not sure what the money is yet. Uh, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's not going to be something ridiculous as it's just a one-year deal. So I, I'm just, this is great. Uh, this is great news for our team. Uh, people may be thinking like, oh, you know, we don't want to take away carries for Bell. I'm fine with it. The way I see this is that we can still get the best out of Bell and keep his legs fresh, not only for throughout the course of the season, but down the line as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> Le'Veon Bell's not going to carry the ball 600 times. Uh, you're right. You got to give him a breather. And Bilal Powell is kind of like a poor man's Le'Veon Bell. I mean, granted, a very poor man's Le'Veon Bell. But the way he can do everything, he can block, catch, run, as a matter of fact, I just looked. He actually, Bilal Powell has, I said he hasn't, he's never averaged less than four yards a carry. Um, that was years two and three. Since his fourth season, he's averaged 4.3, 4.5, 5.5, 4.3, 4.3. And you look at how bad that O-line was last year. Bilal Powell just has this this great ability to, to find a way to, to, you know, to find a crease where there isn't one and pick up some yards. And, and, you know, you mentioned the, the depth at running back now. And I know that for me personally, you know, some a few people on Twitter were saying, oh, you know, why are you happy to see Bilal back? He's he's going to take carries away or he's going to take a roster spot from a young kid. And I kind of feel like, you know what, stick if Bilal Powell comes in, plays well, if he's healthy, stick Trenton Cannon on IR, stash him on IR for something, stub toe, out for the year, and then you let Bell and Powell – be the backups and Montgomery, you know, on occasion, but Montgomery's Montgomery's going to be a receiver slash running back. So I would love, and you know, as you mentioned, and we, you know, we've talked about it several times this off season, the, the depth or not, so, not even the depth, but the versatility, you know, how these backs and you just said it, you know, so many different guys can, you can send them to run a route and you're not losing anything. You, you, you have guys who can catch the ball, who can block, who can do everything. And you add Bilal Powell to that mix, and there's, that's another guy who can do it all. And I, you know, I I tweeted the other day, and I was I was looking up, I was watching Week 17 again from last year, just to specifically focus on Deontay Burnett and Derek Jones. And the thing that jumped out to me, you know, the numbers, uh, Eli McGuire didn't have a huge day. He averaged like I think he was under three yards a carry, but he was fairly consistently getting gang tackled in the backfield. So it certainly wasn't a matter of of Eli McGuire not doing his job as much as it was the O-line not doing theirs. But when the O-line did do their job, like I, I kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken highly of McGuire from the time he was drafted. But, but watching that game the other day and seeing what he was able to do when there was, you know, when you gave him a little bit of room to work with, I kind of came away like as a reminder, like this guy, I really think this guy could be a good player. Uh, you know, not not saying he's going to go winning rushing titles or whatever, but I think he can be a, a quality player. And 
he's, you know, when he was drafted, I said, you know, they just drafted um, Bilal Powell's replacement. So to have them both on the roster again, I have no issue with it. You know, and let's, you know, nobody's made the roster yet. Um, as much as I like Eli McGuire, I wouldn't say he's a lock because of the fact that you've got Powell now. Um, I, I would say he would be, if I had to bet who would make the roster, I would, I would make McGuire the favorite just based on Powell's age. But to me, the perfect scenario is Powell makes it, McGuire makes it, Cannon goes on IR. Um, but I say that even realizing, though, that I think Brent Boyer is going to want him on his roster um, to work with because he did a phenomenal job last season on special teams. And when you look at these guys that are trying to make this roster, Alex, what are the – do you think that that can be an issue – if you're the Jets and Trenton Cannon comes in and does a phenomenal job as a punt returner, that really puts you in a tough spot. I mean, how do you prioritize if you're, you know, if you're looking at your third running back and it's between Bilal Powell and Trenton Cannon and Trenton Cannon's doing a great job as a return man, does that squeeze Bilal Powell off the roster? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, you know, as we go through the summer process and and guys are going to get, heard and you know things are going to change so that that makes a very very tough cut because you don't want to just let a guy like Powell walk because we've seen what he can do before Uh, we do know that it's a sensitive situation because he's coming back from a neck injury and we know that we've been down that road with Quincy and Unwa and those questions when he came back so you know, the way that I see it, the guy that, that makes room for these guys is the fact that the Jets at this moment, in my mind, don't have a true number four wide receiver. And I think that that's where guys like Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery are going to come into play. And they're going to be able to keep more running backs because you have the ability to move one of those guys out as a wide receiver. And if it came down to it, uh, it's all based on you know, who's going to be getting more snaps, who's going to be more of a producer on the team overall. Is Trenton Cannon's speed as a gunner and as a returner uh, that valuable? You know, I I remember going through the 53 in years past and wondering, how does Sharon Peake keep making this lineup? This guy is not involved in the offense. He's not getting receptions. He's not getting looks. Uh, But yet his special teams play apparently was so impressive that he was able, he's been able to stick on this roster. And I wonder if that's going to be the same kind of scenario with Cannon, where is it the other things that he does well that's going to help him stick? I'd personally like to keep them all, and I realize that it's a little far-fetched to have five, possibly six running backs. But when you're looking at a high-profile player like Le'Veon Bell, and like you said, we don't want to have him be burnt out year one. So you want to have a healthy rotation. And I'd be much more comfortable letting one of the wide receivers go and keeping an extra running back just because of how versatile these guys are in the receiving game. So I, I, I don't think that you brought in Powell if you didn't think that he has the opportunity to do something for this team this year. He's only on a one-year deal because what's the point of bringing him in, right? You got it. You're bringing him in maybe to see how healthy it is, maybe 
how well is he going to do with contact, you know, once the, the pads come on. So there's a lot of questions that have to be answered down the line. But at the moment, I, I think you got to find a way to keep the, this core and this group of running backs on the roster. And if you have to let, you know, a guy like Pete go, or if you have to part ways with, well, I don't think Josh Bellamy would be a guy that, because I think he's really tied to Gase right now at the moment, and he seems to be a vocal leader, according to Emory Hunt's uh, interview that he gave us a couple weeks ago. So I'd be much willing to to have less wide receivers going into the year, knowing that we could just take a guy like 88 or 26 and just throw him into the mix. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jerome Peak is toast, um, and I, I liked Peak, good special teamer. Really thought, really hoped that that sort of you know that that pedigree coming out of a a school you know that just consistently produces wide receivers that that size you know that height speed combo. I hope he would develop into something, but that just hasn't happened. But or do you, do you kind of chalk that up to uh, you know as we've said it a lot a lot of times this off season the uh, the inability of the previous coaching staff to develop players. But um, in all honesty, I think he's gone. And I think, and speaking of guys who are gone, uh, another move today that popped up a little while ago, the Jets parted ways with tight end Chris Herndon. Now, the reason why this is interesting, I'm, no, uh, correction, Chris Herndon is going to be benched out for a couple of weeks. They parted ways. Ooh. I don't want to give everybody a heart Didn't attack there. A heart attack they, there. Exactly. I apologize. They parted ways with Neil Sterling. I'm sitting. I'm sitting here staring at the the tight end depth chart while I'm saying this. Chris Herndon will be suspended. Neil Sterling was released, and that means they basically the the two sort of. I would have thought that the the next two guys in the pecking order behind Herndon to be receiving tight ends in Sterling and Jordan Leggett, they've now both been let go. So if Herndon is suspended for a couple weeks which, again, for the DUI he had last year, that that leaves you without that sort of athletic receiving thread who can stretch the field a little bit. You know, of of course, you have Wesco, you have Tomlinson, you know, you have Brown, who kind of becomes the uh, the really interesting guy in this scenario who came over from Chicago and didn't really do a whole lot with the Bears as a receiver, but he was a... He was a receiver in college. He was converted to tight end, and Adam Gase obviously is is familiar with him and wanted him brought in. So the Jets brought him in. So of course, you know, listen, it's we're in June. They could bring in five other tight ends between now and the start of uh, you know training camp. But for where the roster is right now, Daniel Brown, uh, you know, James Madison product, is a guy who hasn't done a whole lot as a receiver in the pros, but what do you think the Jets are thinking here, Alex, by letting go of another receiving tight end? Uh, you know, that's two in a couple weeks. And again, if Herndon is out, that leaves you with Brown, Tomlinson, and Wesco. Yeah. It, I, I would have thought that they would have shaken up that uh, backfield a, a little bit later in the process. Uh, kind of interesting to see how Gase is already picking and choosing the guys that he wants to move forward with. So we, we got 
three really good blocking tight ends at the moment, and we know that one of them in Herndon is a very can be a good receiver. Uh, Wesco is an unknown because he's a rookie. Uh, everything that we hear about is, is his blocking ability and how he can be moved around from fullback, H-back, and inline tight end. So I guess it's unfamiliar territory uh, that we're going to be tapping into. Now we've seen uh, what Eric Tomlinson can do, which is not a whole lot. Uh, we know that he will be active on special teams. Uh, he will be incorporated in multiple tight end sets for, for pass protection and run blocking. And it's just interesting to see how there isn't really any other guys that can run in the open field as Neil Sterling can. Now, I'm only saying this from attending training camp over the last couple of years and then just seeing, you know, a small sample size of what Sterling did uh, in preseason. And for whatever reason, this guy just has not been able to get his career going. So hopefully he lands somewhere where good, where, you know, he can maximize his potential. Uh, at the moment, it, it, it's quite interesting to see how this is going to shake out because, like I said before, Gase is, is picking his soldiers that he wants to go into battle with. And he's, he's like we know, he's an aggressive coach and he's confident in himself and his system. So clearly what we have in house right now, he's comfortable with. And whatever Daniel Brown has done clearly is good enough in Gase's mind to where he's letting go of a couple players that we as fans have come to know and become familiar with and become comfortable with. So it'll be interesting to see if these moves work out for, for the best. Yeah. And that's a name, you know, Daniel Brown, it's, it's interesting. That was a name that I saw quite a bit popped up on Twitter. I heard his name mentioned on the Jets official site uh, saying that he was a, a guy who impressed and, and made some plays. And again, it's, you know, this time of year, everything is taken with a grain of salt. But as I've said before, you know, these guys who, who kind of break out and and surprise people, you know, they have to start somewhere. So it's, you know, encouraging to hear that Brown has been impressive so far. Uh, before I go any further, though, Alex, we're going to take a second here to thank our sponsor, who, of course, is Mile Social. So Jet Nation Radio would like to thank Mile Social. Mile Social, they help with your business with social media, websites, and SEOs. Check them out at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E, social.com. So basically, if you're running a business and you got too much, you got too much on your plate, you need somebody to run the part of your business that takes care of your, your advertising and helps you to bring more customers in through the doors and put more money in your pockets, that's who you want to contact, Mile Social. Check them out, milesocial.com. So that covers that. So one one other thing, and this this is one of those things, Alex. I'm the first one to admit it. It in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna get the Jets any you know better football players through the draft or free agency or undrafted free agency or trade. It it it, it will register a zero in reality in the reality of building a football team. But I gotta tell you. Um, as I watched that Joe Douglas press conference today, I kind of thought to myself, I like that that guy looks like a badass. I, I do. Because 
this is the NFL. And no, I know he's not going to put the pads on and go out there and kick anybody's ass. I get that. But there's just something about, because it's been a while. I mean, think, who was the last guy that ran this team that you looked at and went, that dude is a badass? You know, listen, I like Mike McCagnan, but a badass, he was not. John Idzik, John Idzik, I thought he was going to faint during his press conference. That, that was the most fragile, timid, tepid executive I've ever seen, in, uh, you know, in the public eye. Mike Tannenbaum, nice enough guy. Love to sit down and have a sandwich with him. But come on, like none of these guys. And that was a weird thing today. I, th- this presser started and he just starts talking. And I think, I think the Jets GM could kick any other GM's ass. Like, look at this guy. He's a beast. And I know it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But when, it, you know, in a physical game like football, it's just some, something, something that just makes you feel good. Which, as I said, I know doesn't amount to anything on game day or on draft day or on any other day. But I just thought, oh, that's nice. They got a guy who, just, who might walk in a room and command respect. Which, again, that's something that's been lacking uh, among other things. And I'm not, you know. I'm, I'm not I'm not turning on Mike McCagnan here and, and, and you know, uh, dumping all over the guy because he's gone now because because I did support him. Um, and like I said, it, and I thought that was funny, Alex. You know what someone said to me the other day? Because I, I feel like you and I were pretty fair to Mike McCagnan. And someone said to me the other day, a- after after going on about how they were glad the Jets moved on from Mike McCagnan, uh, they said, I'm glad we got a GM in here. Because this team is, you know, is almost ready to compete for a Super Bowl. And I thought, then why is it good that you just fired the guy that built it? Like, you literally just said, thank, you literally said, thank God we got rid of that dude who built us a team that's ready to compete for a Super Bowl in a year or two. Which seems very contradictory to me. Um, I would think if you tore down your roster and three years later you, you were getting ready to start a season with a team that you felt was championship caliber in a year or two you wouldn't be saying, thank goodness we got rid of that guy. But, you know, they did, you know, and, and that's fine. To each his own. But, yeah, what, I mean, what do you – am I crazy to think that? Am I crazy to think, you know, uh, I'm glad the Jets have a GM who, who might walk into a room and immediately get attention. I see people online comparing him to the mountain from Game of Thrones and WWE wrestlers. But do you get that same <laughs> feel, Alex? Yeah, I've seen all the pictures and the stuff that you've been talking about. Uh, quite comical uh, how apparently, you know, the WWE or F or whatever the, their logo logo is, um, how you see those things surface out to explain this guy. And it was actually mentioned in his interview today. I was on my right, um, on my way home. I, he was on the Michael K show. And I forgot who it was. It was probably... Uh, the guy Peter that asked him and said, you look like if you were to take on, you know, all the other GMs in the league, you would definitely kick their, all their butts. So it was oh, did funny they, did how, somebody say how that? they mentioned, Oh yeah. They said the same thing, which is great. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, and his response was, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And they don't pay me to do that or something like that. So, right. But, right. Uh, I, I agree. I, I get the same kind of feel, um, especially knowing that, you know, he has over 15 years of experience working in one place, and, and then he went over to, I mean, in Baltimore, and then he went over to Chicago, and he, he made a good relationship with Gase, and it kind of seems like everywhere that he's gone, he's left his mark, which has been a good one, and 
his track line definitely validates where he where he's gotten to today. So it's good to have a good football mind. Um, you know, like I said, the front office and, and this team right now is it's looking way much better than than we were a year ago. And it's not the scenario where I've been looking at this whole thing like, okay, we brought in Todd Bowles, who never had head coaching experience before in the NFL, so that was a gamble. We brought in Chan Gailey, who has experience but stepped away from the sport and was a little bit um, long in the tooth and, and clearly just didn't have the uh, stability to go through the NFL rigors of being an offensive coordinator and, and basically was ready to walk after a second season. And he brought in John Morton, who was a wide receiver coach that had never um, had a lot of experience calling plays as an offensive coordinator. Same scenario with Jeremy Bates. So all these kind of unproven unknowns, now we're working with Gase, who has shown that he can take very little, which what he had in Miami, and, and make a playoff run. Uh, we've seen what he's done with other quarterbacks in the past due to the experience of players or coaches that he's worked with, like Mariucci and Martz. And now we've got this GM that credits everything that he does to Ozzy Newsom. And again, we, we've spoken greatly about, you know, his uh, stamp that he's put on this league. So it, it's a it's a comfortable feeling to know that you have football guys with the right mentality in place making that are going to be making football decisions. So that's a that's comfort for me. Um, like that warm weighted blanket coming over um, after all these weeks of just kind of not knowing what direction we were going to go into. So I, I, again, you know, I'm excited and and I'm happy uh, that we finally figured out something that puts us back on the right track. Yeah. And, and just a quick note that is not jets related, but very interesting. I don't know if you saw this pop up. Uh, Adam Schefter reporting that the Oakland Raiders are going to be the choice for hard knocks. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> Gruden, <laughs> and, <laughs> Gruden and AB, and that's, that's going to be, uh, they've added some, some questionable characters. Incognito. I think incognito sealed the deal. I think once they signed Richie come? Incognito, they were like, there's no way we're not featuring this team on hard knocks. Um, Absolutely. And so I'm just wondering, does that, that come with the bleached mustache? <laughs> I'm telling you, that is going to be some must-see TV. Uh, very excited about that. Even as it, I mean, hard and knocks, also, it doesn't matter which team you like. And yeah, and I, I think... Uh, I don't know if people remember that, but... Oh, yeah. And, and I don't know if you saw... Last week, um, I think it was last week, Jay Gruden, uh, I guess the Redskins were a possibility for it, and they asked Jay Gruden about it, and he was like, I think John's team would be a lot more interesting. Um, and he was he was a big advocate of hard knocks not coming to them. And, uh, and, go, and Jay Gruden, by the way, a uh, little fun fact here, uh, have you ever attended an arena football game, Alex? Uh, no, I have not. Maybe that's something I should put on my bucket list. Uh, I went to an arena football game one time many, many years ago. I don't. I just remember it was the Tampa Bay Storm. I don't even remember who they were playing. Um, and the the I, I I had the opportunity to witness firsthand some arena league football history 
as uh, on on that day, Jay Gruden became the Arena Football League's all-time passing leader. And uh, it wasn't until many years later when I heard when I heard that name again, and I was like, "Is that that guy from the Arena League?" And uh, sure oh. enough, it was. So there you go. But the Arena League, I think uh, I think their passing records got broken like every other week. So uh, not not that big a deal. But um, we're still uh, we're still waiting here. We were expecting expecting to be joined by Scott Carter, uh, who covers the Florida Gators down south, and he is not with us at the moment. So we have a message out to him, waiting to hear back. But while we wait, Alex, one thing that we had discussed last week that I wanted to get, I was hoping to get to this week, was the the. New York Jets 2017 draft class. Uh, reason being, as we always say, you know, teams, some people lose their minds. You know, the second a guy is drafted, the second a guy makes a mistake, he's a bust, he sucks, get him out of the league, cut him, why did we draft him? Uh, that That's a bunch of baloney. I think most most logical people have sort of settled on the idea of of giving a player three years to show whether or not he belongs in the league. And so... With that being the case, the 2017 class, they played in 17 and 18, so they are about to enter year three. And there aren't a lot of names remaining on that list. But uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the 2017 class, talk about the hits, the misses, and, and the question marks. So, obviously, I'll recap it real quick for you, Alex, because there might be some names on there. That you've already forgotten because even though they were only drafted a couple years ago, they are long gone. Uh, of course, Jamal Adams with the sixth overall pick in round one. Marcus May round two with the 39th overall pick. Ardarius Stewart round three with the 79th overall pick. Chad Hansen round four with pick 141. Jordan Leggett round five, pick 150. Dylan Donahue pick 181, another fifth rounder. And then the final three picks, all in the sixth round, Eli McGuire, Jeremy Clark, and Derek Jones at picks 188, 197, and 204, respectively. So, Alex, your thoughts. Let's, let's go round by round. I think, I think the first round is fairly obvious. Um, Jamal Adams, there are those who are critical of this pick because of the fact the Jets didn't take a quarterback. There are still people who criticize this pick because they didn't get Patrick Mahomes. But looking back at where the Jets ended up now, and especially with the Deshaun Watson one, because a lot of people criticize not taking Deshaun Watson in that spot, and some people still do. And to me, I think, would I rather have Deshaun Watson or would I rather have Jamal Adams and Sam Darnold? I would rather have Adams and Darnold than Deshaun Watson. But your thoughts on the pick and and basically – are people justified in still being – I mean, people get mad at Jamal Adams because he got drafted like like he made a mistake. But um, consider, all things considered, draft slot, who they passed on, what they could have, how do you feel about that pick as these guys get ready to enter year three? Yeah, you, you'll have to ask my buddies um, on opening night because they were very confused with my elation when they picked Jamal Adams. Uh, I was jumping, I was screaming and shouting, and I remember, you know, people saying, "Oh, maybe we should go for that that tight end out of Alabama, O.J. Howard," or, you know, maybe we should go for Malik Hooker 
the rangy safety out of Ohio. And, you know, both players are, are good players. They're good prospects, and they still have some time to uh, make a, a name for themselves. But I don't think anyone has uh, grown to the level that Jamal Adams has gotten himself to uh, out of that entire class. <clears throat> uh, I saw him tweet the other day, and I think he was commenting on PFF's ratings on top safeties in the league, and he was in the top two, and his tweet, I believe, was top two, not two. And I love that. Um, and just from hearing uh, on comments that he's made throughout this offseason, he wants to bring it up to another level, uh, which I which I just I can't imagine what that's going to be. So I love the fact that we, we finally got somebody that is going to keep the locker room um, accountable. He's going to bring the energy every day. I really love the fact that he's an intense player, that you can move around in so many different positions, and he can do so many different things. I think a player like Jamal Adams gives a comfortable feeling to defensive coordinators knowing that, oh, you know, how am I going to draw up this package? What personnel am I going to use to make sure that, you know, we don't get exposed? Jamal Adams is your answer. You can just move him around. He's like uh, that the queen in, in chess that he can go any which direction and, and be successful and, and, and keep you uh, honest when you're, when you're out there on the field, you know, drawing up uh, really, really uh, high blitz packages and, and knowing that you have guys like him on the field that you don't have to be concerned about as a liability. So I'm definitely a huge uh, fan of, of that pick. And if we had to go back and do it again, it would be Jamal Adams a hundred times out of a hundred. And I think, uh, I think what makes it so interesting and I, and I hate kind of, you know, repeating the same thing that, that so many others are saying, but it, it's one of those things that it's, it's so blatantly obvious, but it, that, it's still something I'm really looking forward to. And that is the way Greg Williams uses this guy. Um, you know, he can, he really can do everything. I, I, I said it last year. I hope we see it this year. I honestly, I want to see him rushing the passer a lot more because I think when he does, when he comes off the edge, he looks like an elite edge rusher to me. And I think if you, if, if, you know, if Ja'Kai Polite pans out and you can have him coming off one edge and Jamal Adams off the other and, and Quinnen Williams and Leonard Williams coming up the middle, their quarterbacks aren't going to have a lot of time to get rid of the football. So I, I love the pick. Um, you know, I, again, I understand the frustration. I understand people that were upset. They didn't get the quarterback, but when you, when, when you do get the quarterback and then like the next year's draft, then why the hell are you still mad about it? Like you're still, there's literally, you're still people upset that the jets didn't get Deshaun Watson who, you know, for my money, the guy the guy holds on to the ball way too. Like, if I had to rank those three quarterbacks, it would be Mahomes, Darnold, Watson. So the Jets ended up with a better quarterback than than a lot of people wanted, and a lot of people were mad about picking Jamal Adams over. And now you have Adams and a better quarterback. So I don't understand the anger and, and all that, but, you know, some people are just, you know, we've talked about it. Some people just live to be miserable. Um but then, of course, in round two, the Jets went safety again, which even I criticized on draft night. I hated that. I felt like there were so many other needs on this team. 
I felt like they need. I felt like you know the thing that made me angriest about this particular draft was that the Jets didn't grab a corner early on because it was such a deep corner draft. Uh, yep. But you go with Marcus May in round two. In the moment, I was pissed off. But then you know the more I thought about it, because you know the funny thing is. We we always hear people talk about how the league has changed so much and it's evolved and now tight ends are these huge targets in the middle of the field and if you don't have a tight end, you know, and, and that was kind of the hypocrisy that I was hearing from a lot of fans. I would I would have somebody say to me, you know, the Jets are still stuck in the dark ages. We don't even have a receiving tight end, and that's that's where the game is heading. And then it's like, okay, fair enough, good point. And then the Jets draft two guys to be able to stop tight ends. And they're like, oh my God, this is this isn't the 1980s. You don't draft safeties high. I'm like, how you 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 can't have it both ways. You can't sit there and yeah. say this team is stupid because they won't draft a tight end, but then they're stupid because they drafted guys who can cover tight ends. You know what I mean? So it, that didn't make a lot of and sense. And then they to want me. to blame the defensive coordinator for not drawing up the right scheme or game plan because we're seeing the back of our defensive backs jerseys all the time and guys are running for 40, 50 yard plays. So, yeah. And and now you brought in a couple of safeties to, you brought in some safeties to stop the bleeding. But now of course, Marcus may play 16 games as a rookie and then plays only six games in year two. So how, how would you evaluate that pick now knowing there have been some health issues? He's a little older than you would like for a third year guy. Uh, You know, he, he was drafted older. But how do you feel about that pick now, and, and would you what would you do if you had that pick to make over again? Yeah, there. I remember that draft and thinking how dynamic this team would be if they could get Dalvin Cook, because I, I expected Dalvin Cook to go in the first round, and he just happened to slide that day. And not knowing that he was going to get injured, you know, people say, oh, thank God we didn't make that pick. But I think it's too early to tell on any of those guys, but to stay on May, um, I think he is one of the most important players in this defense because if, if William Greg Williams wants to be aggressive, as we've heard about his uh, game plan, you're going to need that deep coverage. You're going to have to have one guy that you can really trust that's going to be able to play sideline to sideline and mask the deficiencies that we may have at corner. Uh, if Tremaine Johnson doesn't have a bounce back year, that makes May even more important. If Daryl Roberts does not show that he can uh, withhold his own at the number two spot, again, you're going to need a guy like May to make sure that teams aren't picking on him you know, every second and long or third down situation. So May is going to be a key factor on how everyone else is going to be able to do what they do. Uh, now, we we know that uh, they like to draw up these, uh, what do they call them, uh, cover zero situations where it looks like everyone's up at the line of scrimmage and then everyone draw, a few guys drop back and, you know, maybe six or seven guys go after the quarterback. So when you're running a defense like that, you better have athletic guys that have good speed, and are, you know, good at the mental game and, and know where they're supposed to be and, and can recognize uh, and, and react quickly. And I think that May is one of those instinctual players that he uses his, his mental skills, and it's good that he's got the good physical skills. But, again, with his play style, 
we hope that he can remain on the field for 16 games. So I like May a lot. I wish that, you know, he wasn't as talked talk about as much uh, as being a player that finds himself on the injury list as often as he does. So hopefully, you know, this is the year where he's able to get out there all 16, like I had said. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that's going to be the big thing for him is the health. And I think, you know, for, for me, at, you know, as I said, I probably would have taken a corner. And that's – I, I think I, I probably, if I was the Jets in that draft, rounds two and three would have been corners. Uh, there were just too many good ones to pass um, to pass up. And so to not take one until round six uh, was really disappointing for me personally. And I, as much as I, you know, as I said, I, I liked McCagnan, but – I, I said after that draft, I wrote an article after that draft saying, is this going to be Mike McCagnon's version of John Idzik's draft where it was so deep at receiver, so deep at receiver. And, uh, and he, he took three of them and, you know, two of them, one of them was off the team in a couple months. The other one was stat was put on IR and off the team the next year and Shaq Evans. And, uh, and then of course, Quincy Inunua, who didn't really blossom for a few years. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this stat, Alex. But I mean, if if this is if if Vegas had even offered odds on such a thing, they probably wouldn't have because it would have had to have been like ten thousand to one. But I don't know if you remember this statistic from that year when the Jets took Jalen Saunders and Shaq Evans and Quincy Inunua, three receivers taken in what was arguably the deepest receiver draft in decades. For every receiver that was drafted that year, they were the only three guys who didn't have a single catch. Like, that's, that's unfathomable. Like, like 20-some 20, 20 guys get drafted. Every single one of them has a catch except for three guys, and all three of them are on the same team. Like, you, could, you couldn't calculate odds. Well, I'm sure you could, but I couldn't. But yeah, I mean, what a so that that's the way I looked at this draft with with McCagnan. I thought all the corners in this draft, and you wait till round six to take a couple of them, and you, you drafted back to back receivers. Um, and we'll get we'll, the next four picks will not take very long to cover, Alex. Mm. Um, so we both like the Adams pick. We both like the May pick. I would have preferred a corner in that spot. Round three, our Darius Stewart. Gone. Chad Hansen, gone. And for those of you who didn't see, that popped up a few minutes ago. Chad Hansen, back in the league, uh, signs with the New Orleans Saints as a free agent. So uh, he gets a shot to catch some passes from Drew Brees. We'll see how that works out. And I, I really thought, like, of the two of them, I thought one of them would have panned out. To see both of them get cut so quickly was like, geez, no, I totally didn't expect that. Uh, then, of course, there was Jordan Leggett, who we talked about earlier. He went in round five out of Clemson, had 14 catches for 114 yards and a touchdown last year. Gone, let go by Adam Gates a couple weeks ago. Dylan Donahue, Dylan Donahue to me had Kevin Green written all over him, Alex. We, I heard Manish mm-hmm. made us say, what, do you, I can't remember if Manish said it this offseason or at some point last year, that the Ardarius Stewart pick was – Basically, well, it was John Morton, so it would have been, yeah, well, yeah, Morton was the OC, and uh, yep. Manish claimed that it was John Morton 
banging the table for our Darius Stewart saying, you know, I can make this guy a player. And, uh, and so the Jets granted him that wish. And then he didn't use the guy. Uh, our Darius Stewart, six catches as a rookie, six receptions. He had more, he had more rushing attempts than he had catches, seven rushing attempts and six catches. Unbelievable. Then you go, uh, Chad Hansen, who I mentioned, Jordan Leggett didn't last. He was gone. Dylan Donahue, who I was, that's what got me thinking about the Ardarius Stewart thing. When I was at training camp, um, and many writers commented on it, that guy was inseparable from Kevin Green. I mean, you know, you had to think, you know, undersized, underrated, hair on fire, long blonde hair hanging out of the back of his helmet. I think Kevin Green looked at Dylan Donahue and went, that's me. Get me that guy because that guy is me, and I will make him into me. And more more DUIs than career sacks, and he was gone. And that brings us to the only three still remaining in that class outside the top two picks. That, of course, being Elijah McGuire, running back Elijah McGuire, cornerback slash safety Jeremy Clark, and cornerback Derek Jones. What has to happen, Alex, to, to, to prevent this draft class? I mean, listen, if Jamal Adams is an all-pro, which he's already been an alternate, one of my things is if any draft class consists of an all-pro, it can't be an F. You can't get, if you have 10 picks and you have nine busts and one all-pro, you at least get a D. An all-pro brings up a draft class grade, one, one grade, because all-pros don't grow on trees. So what what has to happen between Elijah McGuire, Jeremy Clark, Derek Jones to stop this draft from being a D or a D minus? What's got to happen in your mind with those three guys? How many guys have to make it? How big of a role do they have to play? What do you feel? Yeah, I was trying to look it up, and my computer's doing whatever right now. Um, is Jeremy Clark on the on the IR? Has this guy ever been healthy? Because I think that would be the first. He has. I, I, I want to say they added him to the active roster late in the year last season, but he didn't get on the field. Okay. Um, because, because I I know he was practicing. I remember the reason I remember he was practicing was because, and again I believe it was Manish Mehta who reported that he was that the Jets were working him at safety, and I kind of thought that made sense because to me, he just didn't have the the attributes you would expect of a corner. So when I saw that he was playing safety, I thought that made a little more sense. And um, and actually, according yeah, six three, not a lot of six foot three cornerbacks out there. And uh, according to PFF or PFR rather, Pro Football Reference, this says he played a game in seventeen and a game in eighteen. That's probably on special teams. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) but probably special teamer. Um, but. I think of the three, he's the least likely to make the roster. But what are your thoughts on those three guys? Yeah, I think that he probably, well, the safety room is still trying to sort itself out. We obviously know that there's two guys that we're pretty high on, which we already just spoke about from this draft class. And we're just not sure where guys like Middleton's going to be. And, you know, Rontez Miles. Uh, we know that he's a good special teamer and everything like that, but we're just not sure uh, in a coverage situation because we did see um, Rontez out there 
last year for a little bit, and you can kind of see this guy belongs on special teams. But to keep the focus on Jeremy Clark, what I think is interesting is that he was kind of very, very similar to how we're going to be looking at Blessing Austin, is that he was just a guy that had some injury problems, but super athlete, has the measurables, uh, looks to be you know, a versatile guy that can play corner or safety. He just has to get healthy and, and you know, bite into his playbook and, and just reach for the stars. So I think what, what's interesting is that there was a guy, and I, I, if my memory serves me right, you were a fan of Jordan Lewis going back through that process as one of the corners that the Jets should have targeted. That, he, right? was, he was my corner back home. I wanted yeah. That's why when I say corners, he's. I didn't want to mention his name again because I talked about him so much that year, and I've mentioned him several. I thought the Jets should have tried to make a move for him this year. The Cowboys, Imagine for whatever reason, would be. The Cowboys were not playing that dude. I don't know why. Um, and he had a good rookie year too. I mean, they had a few injuries out there, and I think what they had to do um, once their defensive backs kind of went haywire, they moved Byron Jones. Um, and this, sorry to pivot to the Dallas Cowboys, but they had to move Byron Jones back to corner because they were so, um, you know, weak at the cornerback position, and he was playing safety for them. But anyway, I remember hearing that if if Clark had stayed healthy that year, he would have been in the conversation as one of those like big oversized corners that, you know, any team would want to work with a guy like that with his athleticism. And he just happens to be one of those players that McCagney gambled on to see if I can get this guy healthy, there's upside. And that's pretty much all you could look at. And he's yet to do that. So, you know, this is going to be the year where he's going to have to separate himself uh, during, you know, the next upcoming weeks as they, you know, go into preseason. Uh, I, I agree with you. If one guy has to go out of those three, I could see it being Clark because you know, Derek Jones has been talked about more and more getting uh, worked in with the ones and twos. And uh, to go back to what you'd said about grading this, this draft class and for it to have to be better than a, a D as a grading, you would have to have Derek Jones find himself get a significant role, either rotating uh, on nickel or dime or quarter packages, uh, you know, or possibly beating out Daryl Roberts for the number two spot. That's how this this draft class would be considered anything close to being successful. Now, obviously, we're we're happy with our two safeties in the first and second round, but in order for this class to be considered one of McCagney's better drafts, you know, Jones has to make it, and he has to play a significant role this year, and McGuire has to prove to Adam Gase that – he belongs in this backfield and deserves to be a rotational guy. And he should have to fight and say, look, I want at least a hundred carries this season. And if you look at that over, you know, a handful of games, you're only talking about five or six touches a game. So he's got to fight to find those touches. And then you have to maximize each of those touches and produce. So nobody has, you know, a harder, or no one's in a harder position and, and as far as the running backs are concerned than Elijah McGuire because he's kind of the man in the middle and you just kind of wonder 
Well, Ty Montgomery can do the things that you do. Bilal Powell can do the things that you do. And you are nowhere near as fast as Trenton Cannon. And we're not sure if you have any sort of role in a special te- as a special teamer. So guys like McGuire and Clark have to p- play their tail off this year in order to put their stamp in on this roster. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where I am in terms of getting this a respectable grade. If 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 Clark, or sorry, if Derek Jones becomes a, a number two corner and a solid number two, um, I mean, hell, let's, number one would be fantastic. But let's 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 reel it in a little bit and say Derek Jones becomes a quality number two corner, and uh, and Eli McGuire becomes a, a solid number two running back. Well, then you have an all-pro safety, a starting corner, another, you know, a guy like Marcus May who could be, who does have Pro Bowl potential, and and a, a, a quality running back who, as we said, can run, block, catch. Um, then I think your this class starts creeping into the B range. Um, you know, three starters, an all-pro. That's that's not bad, and, and you know, all the misses are, you know, just. You kind of wonder Dylan Donahue might have been a decent contributor if not for the DUIs. Um, and Jordan Leggett, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it doesn't matter to the Jets, of course, because he's not a Jet now. Uh, but I, I really was surprised they didn't keep him around to give him a shot uh, in a new offense with a new, you know, with, with a better head coach, basically. Um, and just for the record, by the way, we mentioned Jordan Lewis played 746 snaps as a rookie. Um, According to PFF, graded out as a 72, which is a, a solid grade there. And last year, he saw his snaps drop to 193. Um, and they were not Ouch. playing him at all early in the year. Um, and his grade actually went up, graded out at 76.6. So him, he's Joe been Douglas. a really <laughs> um, – I'm telling you, man, I I wanted him in the draft, as you know. And then I, you know, people got on me because I, I said during the season this past year when I, you know, I kind of took a peek at him and I realized Dallas just wasn't playing him more than a handful of snaps a game. And I wrote an article saying, hey, this is a guy the Jets should go get now. You might be able to get him for a, a fourth or fifth rounder and he's going to be a starting corner. Um, and, you know, that didn't happen, obviously. And I would love, love for the Jets to go out and make that move. But uh, that'll that'll wrap things up, unfortunately. Uh, I'll wait to hear back. Maybe we can reschedule this thing. Scott Carter was not able to call in. We apologize for that. But before we go, one last name I want to throw out there, Alex, because of the fact that it's come up a few times today because he he sent out an interesting tweet that people thought might put him on the market. Jacksonville Jaguars cornerback Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I actually, I, I mentioned it the other day because I wrote an article talking about who the Jets might, you know, what what impact players could Joe Douglas pursue. And I listed a few corners, you know, Chris Harris and uh, Slay and uh, one or two other guys. And I almost included, I almost included um, Jalen Ramsey. The reason I didn't is because the number of times I've heard him, I've heard him quoted, I, it may have all come from the same interview, but he really trashed a lot of guys publicly, and I don't see that being something Adam Gase wants in his locker room. Um, do you think Adam Gase would take on a player like that? And if so, would you want to trade for a guy? And this is why he got in the news. I guess he tweeted out 
um, I'm going to ask for so much money that they're going to have to put me on layaway. So do you want a guy who, who publicly trashes other players and openly says he's going to, I I mean, I would imagine if he's making a comment like that, I imagine he's going to try to become the, the top paid corner in the NFL um, and the compensation will not be light in a trade for a player of that caliber. So all of those things considered, can he play for Gase? He wants a ton of money. You're going to have to give up a premium pick possibly to get him. Is that something you – would you want that? And do you think it's something the Jets will pursue? Yeah, I, I love the skill set. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal football player. Uh, he's definitely one of those guys that – you can trust and and just tell him, okay, your your duties are to cover the number one wide receiver today. Wherever he goes, you go. If he goes to the bathroom, I want you outside the stall. And but what comes with that? Things that you just mentioned: ego, the mouth, a giant paycheck. These are all things that maybe the Jets, you know, could use. On this, on their defense, because why wouldn't you want a top corner to be a part of your defense? Everyone would, but I'm just not sure if the baggage that comes with it would validate a premium pick in a trade, and then having to rework a deal that could be astronomical. Because if the highest paid corner is 17 million dollars or in that range, which we already have on our on our uh, salary right now with Tremaine Johnson, and you're telling me that Ramsey's better than him, what, what is he going to ask for? That scares me a little bit. Uh, I know that he's still young. I know that he's still got a lot of good football uh, years ahead of him, but it just concerns me that you have a player like that that clearly is more about getting paid at this point in time than trying to win Super Bowls because this was a team that was knocking on the Super Bowl door in the AFC championship two years ago and then was laughed at last season. And a guy like him who has a mouth and is outspoken kind of can be a little bit of a distraction and not always the best guy to have as far as a chemistry aspect is concerned in the locker room. If if things go south, he's going to let you know. And we know how the media is in New York, and we know how stories can spin, and they take a fragment of what a player says, and they turn it into this mountain of a quote-unquote issue. So, yes, I love his skill set. I'm not sure if I would be willing to, you know, take on all that baggage that could be with a guy like Ramsey. Yeah, you make some really good points, and – I think, you know, the thing that that kind of that I thought back to was how we've talked about how Adam Gase let guys go who did a lot of talking, and uh, you know he he let Jarvis Landry go, he let go of Ajayi, which you know that was related more to him supposedly having some issues with doing what he was supposed to do on the field, but I just Gase doesn't strike me as a guy who would want that on his team or in his locker room. So when I, like I said, when I sat down and kind of looked through some rosters and what players might be available, it struck me that we've heard a few times that that's a name that uh, 
they could be on the, you know, on the trade block. And I just don't know that that would happen. But, um, but we've actually, while we've been uh, wrapping up these last few or covering these last few topics, we've gotten back online with uh, Gators writer, Scott Carter, and he's actually going to be joining us now as planned. So uh, better late than never. That was a little miscommunication uh, on my part. I think I gave Scott the impression we would be calling into him. Scott, are you with us? Hey, Glenn, I'm here, man. Finally uh, glad to hook up here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks you so did? much for calling in. We really appreciate it. A uh, few minutes of your time to talk about a guy who, uh, you know, all Jets fans are really enamored by, intrigued by, and, uh, and Ja'Kai Polite, a guy who fell to round three in this, this past draft. And uh, wh- why don't you give us a, a little background on yourself? Uh, on yourself first, let us know uh, how long you've been covering the Gators and uh, and how'd you end up there. Well, I'm a uh, newspaper guy, a long time, worked at the Tampa Tribune, and, uh, you know, I changed uh, to this role about, gosh, it's been about nine years ago, so it's been a while, but, you know, uh, still around uh, the sports and uh, covering the Gators, and it's been a, a dry spell until the last couple of years, and obviously, Takai Polite was a big part of the turnaround last year, uh, you know, under Dan Mullen in his first year, so... uh Jets, uh, you know, got an intriguing player, as you said. And, and while we're on the conversation of Gators here, Scott, uh, I wanted to ask you before we go into the new rookie that everyone's wondering about, there's a couple other Gators that are on the Jets team and Marcus May and Brian Poole. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you see from them when they were together? And is there anything that you can talk about uh, with May's injury history? Because that's always a, a topic of conversation when he comes up. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys at Florida, they were kind of development players under Will Muschamp. I think uh, they both actually came in when uh, Dan Quinn was defensive coordinator and Will Muschamp was head coach. And Obviously, Quinn took the Falcons' job and then uh, are left to go back to Seattle, then took the Falcons' job. And Marcus and Brian Poole both kind of just kept getting better. Uh, They weren't as highly, uh, I guess, recruited as guys like Vernon Hargraves III, who has played at Florida, Matt Elam, uh, Keanu Neal, some of the names you probably heard. But but they really turned into good college players. And then in Marcus's case – you know, I do remember him having a shoulder injury that cost him some games. Uh, his, uh, I think his junior year had a really uh, a good senior year, uh, if I recall correctly. And, uh, you know, I didn't know that he was going to be a first-round draft pick, quite frankly. Um, but he was, and, uh, you know, he played his way into that. Um, you know, I know you guys, what, they picked up Brian Poole from Atlanta, who really blossomed as an undrafted free agent there under Quinn, uh, again, I think both of those guys, in my view, probably uh, have exceeded expectations just from when they entered, you know, UF because they were not, like I said, not as highly touted guys uh, as some of their teammates, and yet they've carved out a, a pretty, you know, pretty good career so far in NFL. Um, I don't, in terms of Marcus, I don't know, his, you know, these guys move on, so Sometimes I don't get to follow him as closely as I like. In the case of Marcus, I'm not for sure. Is he hurt again, or has he had a recent injury? Yeah, he, he's been dealing with uh, a few issues. I think he hurt his ankle at the end of his rookie season, which he needed to get a slight procedure on. And then last year, 
after he got cleared, he did something with his shoulder that I also believe needed some cleanup work as well. So unfortunately this guy seems to keep finding himself uh, on the operating table. Yeah. I mean, he was a very physical player, you know, at UF. And uh, as I said, he, uh, I know he had a shoulder issue. One of his seasons there cost him some time and, and then he got, you know, healthy and, you know, stayed his case to get into the league. But as you guys know, it's, once you get there, I mean, you, you do have to stay healthy or you, uh, you're going to lose your spot on the roster pretty fast. Yeah, I think that was probably one of the frustrating things for Jets fans was that, he, you know, he, he played 16 games as a rookie, stayed healthy, played really well. Um, and so he's, he's kind of a big X factor this year. If he's healthy, that secondary would be much better off with him. But uh, mm-hmm. moving on to Ja'Kai Polite, um, just, you know, we'll get a little bit more specific in a bit, but just as an overall, like an overview, what what are your thoughts of him as a player from what you were able to see up close, uh, more so on the field than off the field, Ja'Kai Polite? Yeah, I mean, he, he was a guy that, you know, when he came in to Florida, obviously a good recruit, but the first year he was there, you could just tell he was out of shape, and then big storyline going to his sophomore year, you know, camp starts and he noticeably looks physically different. And I remember the the story back then was he basically said, look, I got to eat better. I stopped eating junk food. I think he was a big candy guy, if I recall correctly. So he he stopped eating some bad stuff and, you know, he looked better physically, still didn't, you know, make a huge impact as a sophomore, but then you guys saw what happened his junior year. And I can't say that I saw, you know, what, 11 and a half sacks and really a huge game changer for Florida last year. I thought he was going to get a lot more opportunities, but I thought that CeCe Jefferson was going to be their premier edge rusher, and he basically uh, made CeCe an afterthought with the way he played, broke out up at Tennessee, and he just, you know, he kept getting better and better. And, uh, you know, before you know it, late in the year, there's talk about him being a first-round pick. I know the mock drafts were all over for a while until the combine, but I just saw a player who really got a lot better. And, you know, I, I think the, the playing for Todd Grantham, I think the system really fit him well. Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator, he was in his first year last year. He loves – he liked him right away as far as the physical gifts, and he, he put him in the right position. And I think that's what made all the difference for Ja'Kai because, you know, he, he was able to utilize some of his physical gifts in that system that we really hadn't seen uh, beforehand because he's not a guy who play, played in, in the interior line. I don't think he's big enough for that. But if you put him in the right spot and let him run free out on the edge, uh, he's, he's a, an impressive player. If, he, if he's in shape, and, you know, which unfortunately uh, he wasn't, I don't think, at the combine, and that cost him a lot of money. And, and speaking of that, uh, you know, Jakob Polite definitely did not have the smoothest uh, combine or pro day, and a lot of conversation was his maturity. Now, I've seen different mm-hmm. takes, and I've read uh, about different things about him being a bit of a character in the sense that sometimes he can be a little bit of a goofball. Um, mm-hmm. Is that the the right way to describe him? What did you see from from a maturity aspect with him, and can he clean that up moving forward? Yeah, I think he can. I do think Jakai, you know, when he got to Florida, I think like a lot of these guys, you know, he's uh, been coddled or always has been the star, and then he gets to a, a program like Florida, and 
suddenly he's just one of the guys. And I, I think that did take him a while to, you know, get into, you know, a, a maturity level. He had to reach a maturity level to succeed. And I think he got there, but I still think, you know, Jakai, I remember after pro day, I was walking with him back as after this big interview he did was, was the first time he spoke uh, since his, uh, his uh, combine interview, which didn't go exactly well. And we were just talking it. He said, man, you know, it was just so much that he didn't know about. And, you know, he even admitted, I thought he handled that day well with the media in terms of saying what he should said, saying the right things, but he did kind of confess that he just, he wasn't prepared. I don't think he took it as seriously as he should have. And, you know, people around Florida after the bowl win, uh, I think some eyebrows are raised because he kind of disappeared for those months between, you know, January and February until the combine. We really didn't see him. And obviously the coaches and the strength staff, they love when those guys stay around so they can kind of see how they're doing and, they have a lot of resources there they can help them with. But Ja'Kai kind of went off on his own, and uh, I think that obviously hurt him in some ways. Uh, but I do believe, you know, you got to think that the last six months, these experiences, you hope that, you know, he's matured even some that maybe he wasn't prepared for as he entered that process. Uh, I don't think there was ever any real red flags about you know, off the field behavior or anything like that. I just think it's a, a guy who's comes from a you know a pretty uh, I guess tough background. You could say uh, underprivileged background. Uh, does didn't have a real father figure. I think his mom's uh, brothers were kind of his his mentors growing up. So uh, you know he's he's just still trying to find his way. And I know it's a, a New York's a tough place to find your way in the NFL. But I do think there are some gifts there if he's in the right system and around the right people. I do think he can be a good player. And now I was gonna I was gonna touch base and ask what uh, what you thought the preseason buzz was on him, but you kind of you did touch on that earlier, so I appreciate that. But um, just we'll, we'll go one more question each here. Uh, and thanks again for joining us, uh, Scott Carter, yeah, no who problem. covers the Florida Gators, joining us now. Um, so Scott. Uh, in terms of Jakaya Polite's overall skill set, you know, the Jets will probably ask him to do a lot of things because Greg Williams kind of just likes to do that. He likes having a lot of moving pieces. But in terms of playing with his hand in the dirt versus playing standing up, um, was there a noticeable difference from one to the other in, in the uh, the level of play? I, mean, I think he, he's at his best standing up from what we saw at, at Florida. Um, that was just, you know, what they asked him to do. Um you know, his strength, as most of these guys who are known as, you know, edge rushers, I mean, he's got a great burst off the line. Uh, the speed and quickness allows him to get, you know, a jump on these bigger offensive linemen. I still – I didn't – I don't think we saw a lot of him in coverage, you know, dropping back, which he may be asked to do more of in the NFL. Uh, I don't know – I don't really have a good feel – for that part of the game with him. I think he's a good enough athlete, certainly, to do it. But I don't know how much knowledge or how much details he has in, you know, actually, uh, be, you know, uh, defending passes. I think that's something that, you know, we're all going to have to find out. But I think his strength right now, just from what we saw, is the ability to, you know, come off that standing up as an edge rusher and making plays. And, you know, so many of his plays were, seem, you know, timely for Florida four six fumbles and I mean it was just like I said earlier it was just he made a huge difference uh more I think than anybody could have really predicted you know this past season 
and now it's a it's a whole new challenge for him. Okay, so a lot of um, difficulties that young players have is being able to take that next step. And I, mm-hmm. like you had just mentioned uh, before about how the system in which he was, he was able to thrive in there. Do you think that he'll be a quick study, or is it going to be a situation where it may take him, you know, maybe two years before you start to see some of the things that he was doing in his final year in Florida? How quickly can you speak of his development? Yeah. Well, I think one advantage that he has, I mean, Todd Grantham came in last year and changed up the system more to 3-4, moved uh, Ja'Kai into that role. And Todd Grantham, if you know his background, this is a, a guy whose career is split half between the NFL, half between uh, college. He's been an NFL defensive coordinator. So his defense, uh, you know, has a lot of NFL, uh, I guess, terminology or, or thinking in it. So, I mean, I think that's got to help Ja'Kai. Uh, and he performed well in his only year in that defense of Florida. Obviously, he's going to face a whole different beast in NFL offensive linemen. But the SEC, I mean, the offensive linemen there are some of the best in the country. A lot of those guys get drafted. So I think I think he has all the tools to, you know, be a, a really good player and to be the kind of player the Jets envision. You know, I think if he, if he does develop and stays healthy, it won't surprise me in two or three years if we look back at him as, you know, possibly being – the still of this draft. I mean, I think he has that potential, but then on the flip side, you know, if you're a Jets fan, I'm sure you're wondering, well, why did he drop? You know, is this guy, is he, uh, is he already dropping down to where he's ever going to fill the, fill the bill? I mean, that's, I did, I just think that had to motivate him and just the impression I got from, you know, what he said at pro day, what I've read about since he's been up there. I, I think he's, he's matured and realizing now that, you know, this isn't maybe, uh, going to be as smooth as it was his last year at Florida, but at the same time, I think he's got some, um, you know, great experience in playing for Todd Grantham that should help him. All right. Well, that was uh, Scott Carter. Scott, you want to go ahead and give out your Twitter handle and just want to say thanks again so much for joining us. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. And it's just Gator Scott. Uh, if you're a Gators fan out there in Jetland, feel free to follow. Thanks, Thanks a lot, time, Scott. Scott. We appreciate, appreciate your time. It. All right. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. So that was uh, Gators beat writer Scott Carter giving us a little bit of insight on not just Ja'Kai Polite, but Brian Poole and Marcus May. We thank him for joining us. And uh, perfect timing because we were just about to wrap up. A couple minutes left. Alex, go ahead and uh, give out the Twitter handle. Yes. Uh, Jets fans, you can find me at NYJetsLife24. That's at NY Jets Life 24. All right, Jets fans, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, OTAs and, you know, there's another week of uh, mini camp, so we'll have some more stuff to cover next week. Thank you so much for tuning in, and have a great week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!